right. We are uh, we're in our second week of reading through the entire Bible in two years. Of course, the reading part gets done during the week. We don't have time to read 12 chapters in a 40-minute class. And at least if we did, we wouldn't have time for much else. But last week, we did the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And this, this week, we're doing another 12 chapters. Um, and I suggested that, that Genesis is, uh, consists of a prologue followed by 10 chapters. Now, these are not our chapters. These are Moses' chapters. What does, what, how does Moses tell you that he's beginning a new chapter? These are the generations. Yeah, he begins it with these are the generations of. And so each of these that you see here, 1 through 10, if, if you look up that, the first verse of each of those sections, you'll see these are the generations of. And last week we did the prologue and um, five of the chapters. So <laughs> he doesn't make his chapters equal sized. And we saw how when God made everything in chapter one, he saw that it was what? It was good. How many times does he say that? He saw it was good six times. And then once it was very good. <laughs> um, and then the next few chapters of Moses' book tell us how it got all undone. Yeah. And um, you can kind of get a summary of what happened in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says that the creation was subjected to futility. And all of us, the only creation we've ever seen is a creation that is subjected to futility. We've, we've never seen the creation that was like it was at the end of that first week. Um, we saw how sin entered the world with Satan um, tempting Eve to doubt God's uh, goodness and with her lack of faith she, uh, she violated God's command and sin entered the world and as a result of sin what came with it? Death. Yeah, death came. And we saw that especially in this second chapter starting in Genesis 5.1 where we have uh, the a genealogy, and at the end of each of the person's stories, it says, "What?" And he died. Yeah. Yeah. Satan had said, "You shall surely not die," but uh, about ten times in that chapter, it says, "And he died." Except one guy got skipped. Who was that? Enoch. He walked with God. Then we saw how things got even worse. Till we, in the days of Noah, they were so bad that God was sorry He had made man. And He wiped out the whole human race except for how many people? Just eight people. And they were saved by water in the ark. And you have a brand new start in, um, at the end of, of chapter 9. The... Um, all you have a nice fresh world, everything's clean. But before chapter nine ends, 
What does Noah do? He gets drunk. Yeah. And then and his sons react differently to his embarrassing situation in his tent. And Noah predicts the future of their descendants because of their respective characters. But that's right there is that tells us right there that the problem has not been solved. The problem of sin, although God certainly had to put a stop to the terrible violence that was going on in Noah's day, he didn't solve the problem of sin. And so in chapter 12, we begin the next, the chapter actually begins at 1127. It says that the history of Tira's family. Who is Tira with regard to our characters? Yeah, father of Abraham. And so we're, we're now in this chapter, Moses' chapter on Abraham. And in fact, the next 40 minutes will all be on Abraham. We're, we're going to be in this one chapter. Um, so I think I can turn this off and then I'll bring up another got some other overheads to go later um, God is starting a, a new chapter in the way he deals with men in terms of sin we saw how he dealt with sin in the days of Noah, and as we see, that didn't solve the problem. Now he's starting another method. Now, this other method he's starting was predicted earlier on. Where's the first prediction of this in the Bible? Yeah, Genesis 3, verse 15. The, the seed of the woman is going to crush the, the head of the serpent while the serpent bruises the heel of that person and we didn't talk about it much last time but I think Eve may have thought that her firstborn child was that promised seed she cert- that, that, that certainly is the way she talks when um, she's naming Cain but of course Cain didn't turn out to be the one who bruised the head of the serpent it's going to be a long way but the genealogies in the Bible are for the most part, are tied together by this one theme that there's got to be a seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the, the, the new story that God begins in this section, just in chapter 12, is to select out of all the people of the world to select one man and his wife to begin a new family. And, and it's through this family that that promised seed is going to come. It's going to take a long time. But the rest of the Old Testament is going to be following uh, this family. So in um, let me just read the first few verses of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now what part of that is the promise of Jesus? The last sentence. The last sentence. In you, and all, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham was just one family, but through him all the families of the earth will be blessed because Jesus came from him. 
Um, there's some other things in the section that are also important, of course. Um, he has to leave his father's house, and we'll look at a map in just a moment about that. <clears throat> going to a new land that God's going to show him. He didn't. He didn't even know what that land was till he got there. And um, at the end of verse two, he says, "You shall be a blessing." I think what that means is that when people, and, and this was very common in in the Eastern world, when people wanted to to offer a blessing to someone, they would say something like, "May God make you like." Abraham. <laughs> and of course, you don't want to be a curse. May God make you like Judas Iscariot, for example. Um, and so Abraham would be a blessing in that sense. Now, it, we need to get used to the, the map here. We've got to understand the... the um, the area we're talking about. And I'm starting with a modern map. At least as modern as I could find. Uh, Just so that we can get our bearings here. Uh, Off to the left is is Europe. Off to the right is Asia. And this is the Middle East. It's in between. (laughs) Uh, The countries we're interested in, of course, here is, is Israel. And uh, Syria covers part of what we're going to be talking about. And Iraq. Um, those three countries, primarily, a little bit down in Egypt will do. But these are all nations. In fact, most of everything that's on the, the screen right now are nations you, you hear about in the news every week. And so I'm going to pull this one off and I'm going to replace it with an old one. But I did this just so you know where it is. Now, where was Abraham originally from? The Ur of the Chaldees, which is down here. Um, I've read that back in those days that was actually on the seacoast. The Persian Gulf extended that far up. Um, you remember how God would promise Abraham that his seed would be as, as a sand that is on the seashore? Well, he may have actually seen the seashore when he was younger. But by the time our story starts, he and his family are up in Herod, which I believe is in Syria today. Uh, and the rest of his family stays behind in Herod while God calls him to come on down into um, this area that, that we call Canaan today would be Israel. Except that he didn't go quite by himself. Who went with him in addition to his wife? Lot. And, and who was Lot? His nephew. Yeah, Lot's father had died, I believe. And, and, and so he followed with, uh, with Abram and they together they came into this, this land. Um, so then we can home in on the, the local area. Now we've zoomed in just on the area of, of, of modern Israel. And some of the key places he, that uh, Abraham came to were, would be uh, Shechem um, and Bethel, uh, Hebron, and later and in our reading was also Beersheba, how it got its name, and Mount Moriah at Salem, later called Jerusalem. These, these are all um, 
places that are in Abraham's life and will later be in, in the lives of, of his descendants. And then if you went down this direction, where are you going to end up? Egypt. And how does that figure in in chapter 12? No, it's a good guess, but no. Yeah, there was a famine and he went down to Egypt. Uh, God didn't tell him to go, didn't tell him not to go, but I can see he just he just went. Uh, but there was a problem that happened while he was there. What was the problem? Lied about his wife and got and Pharaoh took his wife into his harem and, and had to be plagued before Abraham got him back and and it's it's always embarrassing when you have some of the people of God who are rebuked for their sins by someone in the world. And that's what we had there. Um, and it's not the last time he does that that sin either. Abraham's fear was probably justified, which would suggest maybe he shouldn't have gone to Egypt in the first place. Yeah, we don't know if he should have or not. Um, but no, there there are stories from that from that day and age of there at least one story of a guy that got murdered by Pharaoh because Pharaoh wanted his wife. <laughs> so yeah, he might have might well have been justified. But but at least it implies that the rulers understood that the, that the woman had to be uh, a widow. Right. Yeah, they didn't have to, to modern American morality right. um, in that regard. Or even English and souls. King King Henry the Eighth, yes, yeah, Yeah, he knew they had they had to be dead before he could marry someone else. That could be arranged. (laughs) Now, um, this is our outline for today's lesson: the stages of in the life of Abraham. And for those who are taking notes, I can give you. I've got a few copies of this this overhead. You can ask me afterwards, and I'll get those to you. this um, I think this will make it easier to keep him to, to get a picture of the life of Abraham. There are four stages. At, at the beginning of each stage, God appeared to Abraham. And you have a, at each stage you have a, kind of a new level in, in his uh, walk with God. So the first stage, chapter 12 through 14, he's called to his work. Uh, and at this point, all he knows is he's going to have to go to this country, and God's going to make a great nation of him, and, and all these and these promises will follow. But he doesn't know how it's going to come about. Um, he at this point doesn't even have any children, but he by faith he does what God says. And and so let's just we'll talk about those chapters, and then we'll look at the next stage, because um, <clears throat> we're going to cover the whole all four of these by the end of the of the class this morning. In um, in chapter 13, we have a problem that happens between Abraham and who? And Lot, his nephew. What's the problem? Yeah, they're too rich uh, for for being that close together and their, their herdsmen are quarreling with each other. So uh, what does Abraham suggest they do? Yeah, and and since Abraham is the older one, that he gets first choice of of where they're going to go, right? Well, he, 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 was half first. <laughs> he was half. 
He could have, but that wasn't the way he worked it, was it? Um, he, he, was a, he was very generous giving his nephew the first choice. I think also it showed faith in God that, that God would arrange things so that he would get the, the uh, portion of the land that God wanted him to have. And so, um, what, it, what part, part did, did Lot choose? Yeah, yeah. He he allowed his um, his eye for money to guide him in this, and uh, so he grabbed this um, this part down here, the southern part of the Dead Sea. Um, we don't know exactly where Sodom is because it, for some reason, disappeared. <laughs> but. Um, I've heard some people even suggest it might even be under the water because the water down here is only a few feet deep. The water here is over a thousand feet deep, but down here it's just a few feet deep, and maybe the you know the this Dead Sea is a little, might be deeper than it was back in those days. But back then, that area was a very rich uh, area, a lot of, a lot of pasture land for sheep. Of course, right now it's it's just a pretty barren desert. It's it's not attractive at all. But in Lot's day, it was it was great. And so that's where he went. And in chapter 14, he Lot runs into his very first problem from this move. And what is that? <laughs> he get, he's the unwitting uh, uh, participant in a battle of kings. Um, the, um, this king named Kedileomer was from way over. In fact, he's way off the map. It's... Um, it's kind of in the, in the same area that later on the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire come from. And um, we, we saw that that empire got founded by uh, a guy named Nimrod back in chapter 10. And there's going to be this constant battle between the people of God and, and uh, Nimrod's descendants and his empires in the days to come. And this this is the first one that I know of. And they come in and they and they uh, beat up these kings and they take captive uh, Lot and his family and, and all the goods of Sodom. And what does Abram do when he when he gets news about this? Yeah, he's got a lot of servants over three hundred and they're trained for battle. And he also has some confederates in the local area. They also have their own servants. So I don't know how many they have total, but. They surprise Ketelelmer's forces and they uh, get everybody back. And on the way back, the king of Sodom meets him. And um, what does the king of Sodom offer to him? Yeah, yeah. Just give us the people back. You you get the goods because you earned it. And what is Abram's response? No, he doesn't want. The king of Sodom to say, I made Abram rich. Well, who does he want to say, I made Abram rich? That's exactly right. It's going to come from God. But, and I wonder whether Abram may have also understood the character of Sodom, and of course the character of the king of Sodom, and he just didn't want to have anything to do with them. Because just before that story, he met another guy, and he has a very different attitude toward that guy. And who is that? Melchizedek, who is the king of what? Salem. Here we are at Salem. Later, later Salem belonged to the Jebusites, and they called it 
Salem of the Jebusites, or Jebusalem, which then kind of got smoothed off to Jerusalem. And, and so he was king of the place where later David would be king. Um, and what else was he in addition to being a king? Priest of God Most High. And this is just a strange story because it just pops in, in the middle here. Here, we thought there were no God-fearing people at all in Canaan. Abraham is being brought there. And you know, later on God will say, well, the, the sinfulness of the Amorites is not yet complete, but when it is, you're going to get this land. And it just seems like they're all rotten. And yet, we've got this guy. I mean, who is he? Melchizedek. He just, he's both a king and a priest of God Most High. And, and Abraham acknowledges his priesthood. And what does he give to him? Yeah, we have the very first tenth. We have the very first tithe in the Bible. He gives, he gives Melchizedek that. And what does Melchizedek give to Abram? A blessing, yeah. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And we won't read about Melchizedek again for quite a few months. And we're, for those who came in late, we're doing a two-year reading of the Bible. So it's going to take us a number of months before we get to Psalm. I believe it's Psalm 110. And after that, well, then we have to go all the way to the New Testament before we get him again. But he, Melchizedek becomes a type or, or, or a shadow of someone to come. And we'll see that later on. Yeah, someone who's both a king and a priest at the same time. Yeah, um, who would that be? <laughs> All right, that finishes stage one. Abram is called to his work. Stage two, God appears to him again. This time he's promised an heir and he's given a covenant. Um, you see, originally he didn't even, I mean, he had no children, but he, he, God had said nothing about his family, but now he's going to say that. And So as chapter 15 begins, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, your reward shall be very great. And so Abram asks the logical question, well, um, who's going to inherit all these things? I don't have any children. And he mentions his Eliezer, who is his chief servant or slave. And um, no, he's not the one. Someone who's going to come from, forth from your own body, he's going to be your heir. And then in verse 5 is when he says, you know, count the stars if you're able to count them, so shall your descendants be. And um, then Abram says, Oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Now questions like that aren't always answered the same way by God because they're not always asked with the same attitude. But um, Abraham's attitude was, was an attitude of faith. He just wanted reassurance. Go back to verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That uh, It's interesting how Moses kind of slips that in, but it becomes a very, very major... Uh, key verse in the New Testament. Paul quotes it um, several times. Um, 
Because belief is another name for what? Faith. Faith. Yeah. The book of Romans deals with this. Abraham believed believed God and God reckoned to him as righteous. Was Abraham righteous of himself? Yeah. Well, we already saw him lying about his wife. He's not righteous. I mean, if we're talking about righteous like God is righteous, he was not. But God is counting his faith as righteousness. And when you when you look at Abram and you see him continuing to make these same mistakes, you say, Well, what does God see in him? Well, God sees in him his faith. That's what that's what it is. That's why he picked him. And now he's going to make a covenant with him. And he to make this covenant, he uses God uses a ceremony that was well known at the time. Uh, he takes a number of animals and he cuts them in half. And and the way they made covenants then, the, the two parties who would be making an agreement would they would cut the animals in half and then each party would walk in between the animals. And some have suggested that the meaning of that is out of these two halves we'll make one unity. Um, Others have suggested, and they get this one from Jeremiah, that um, if you break this covenant, your animals are going to be done the same way these animals were done. (laughs) And um, whichever it is, and perhaps it's a combination of both, Abraham understood what this ceremony was about. When God told him to take these animals and cut them in half, he understood. God is answering his question, how will I know? God is answering it by making a covenant. There is no more solemn agreement that humans have between one another than a covenant. That's, that's the highest agreement that, that we have. Um, and God is condescending to human level to enter into that kind of an agreement with, with Abraham. And so Abraham divides the animals and then he waits and he waits and, and the night comes and the birds try to come and pick off his animals. He has to chase them away. And finally, God appears and pro- and prophesies what is going to happen in the future to his descendants. And he mentions what Abraham would, would certainly not have known before that. That is that in verse 13, your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. What land is that going to be? Egypt. Egypt, yeah. And he mentions they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. And then he's going to judge the nation and bring them out. Um, well, of course, Abraham knows 400 years, he's not going to be around for that. <laughs> and God says, yes, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried at a good old age. Um, but we still don't have the covenant yet. They haven't walked in between the pieces. But when the sun finally set, what happened? He saw what? A smoking oven and a flaming torch. And what do those two things do? They went in between the pieces. What does that represent? Yeah, God is represented by the smoking oven and the flaming torch. He was the one going in between the pieces to make the covenant with Abram. And strangely enough, we never read that Abram went in between the pieces. It was just a one-sided covenant. God was taking all of it on Himself. He was taking the part of both parties. 
And if you think about it, that's the only kind of covenant that would last. A covenant, we, we would call that a covenant of grace. God is giving that to Abram of his own free will and his, his great kindness. Now, as we move on into chapter 16, there one thing that Abram doesn't know yet, and that is, how is his seed going to come? He has a wife, but you know they've been married for a long time and she doesn't have any kids. Um, so she convinces him in this chapter to follow a practice which is very common back then, which is if the wife can't have children, she's to give her handmaid to her husband and they have children through, through that. And what was the name of her handmaid? Hagar. And so they do. And um, things start off pretty rocky right at the very beginning um, when she starts despising her mistress, Sarah, when she's pregnant because, of course, her mistress can't get pregnant as she, she sees. And so um, Sarah mistreats her until she runs off and then the angel finds her and sends her back. And um, God makes some prophecies about this child and, and the child is born and what is his name? Ishmael. Yeah. And no word from God on, on any of this. But now Abraham has a seed. And God said, you know, his seed's going to be blessed and all that. So it looks like it's good. And then we come to chapter 17 and we are into the next section in, in Abram's life when God appears to him and changes his name and gives him the covenant of circumcision. So in chapter 17, he, Abram is 99 years old and God appears to him and now, we already saw the covenant in chapter 15, the covenant of grace, but now there's going to be a covenant where Abraham has, a, has to do a, a part of this covenant. And, and he is to get circumcised, and all of his male descendants are to be circumcised. Um, and normally, what, at what age are those descendants to be circumcised? On the eighth day, yes. And... Jesus was circumcised, being a descendant of Abraham on the eighth day. Uh, Ishmael, though, was how old when he got circumcised? Yeah, because God hadn't told him before this to, to do that. And then in the same, in this same uh, section, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father. Abraham means father of multitude. Then for the first time, he talks about Abram, Abraham's wife. And he changes his, her name from Sarah to Sarah. <laughs> it's just spelled differently. And the name Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, means exalted princess because she will be a mother of nations. So now, Abraham understands for the first time that his wife was in on this too, that when God made the promise to him, he met him and his wife, She's going to have a, a child, which seems pretty strange given that she's now 89 years old um, and past childbearing age. And, and he appeals to God on behalf of Ishmael. And God says, well, you know, I'll bless him, but your name's going to be called by the son that you're going to have through Sarah. And so then we have an additional visit by God in chapter 18 where these these three angels uh, show up 
and Abraham invites him in to feed them, and they promise him that this time next year, your wife will have a son. And what is Sarah's reaction when she's listening in the tent? She laughs. Yeah, she laughs. And what does the name Isaac mean? It means laughter, yes, to commemorate that. And also Abraham laughed, but he laughed from a different, in a little bit different way. There's a lot of different ways you can laugh. Um, but before they leave, two of them go on and one stays behind. And God says in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? What was he about to do? He's about to destroy Sodom. And he doesn't mention, God doesn't mention Lot as a reason. Now, of course, Abraham knew you know, his nephew's there. But God's reason is in verse 19 For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And I think the key there is righteousness and justice. Sodom was not doing righteousness and justice. So the justice of God was going to come down on them in in punishment. And it was important that Abraham's descendants learned that lesson. That God demands righteousness of His people. And that the behavior that was going on in Sodom is not acceptable and God will judge a people that behaves like that. And of course then we have this very famous scene where Abraham pleads with God and he starts, you know, with, well, you know, what if there's a bunch of righteous people in this city? And what does he start with? Fifty. What are those fifty righteous people? And God says, well, you know, I'll spare only for the sake of the fifty. And then <laughs> he's kind of thinking, mm, I'm not sure we can get quite that many. <laughs> it's such a rotten city. And he works God down finally to ten. He's obviously pretty embarrassed to go down that low. But God agrees. If there's ten righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it. <laughs> God doesn't mention to him that in fact he's going to rescue the righteous people even if there's fewer than ten. But there weren't ten as we find out in chapter 19 which is one of the really sad chapters in the Bible um, as those two angels go into Sodom and the only person willing to even take them into his house which was just common courtesy back in those days but the only person was who? Lot. And he just insisted. I mean, it's pretty obvious. He knew what was going to happen to them if they they were left out there. And so he's trying to save their lives. Um, But the people, I mean, they don't even regard him. Lot's hospitality is sacred. They're they're going to go drag those guys right out of the house. So it's it's obvious to everyone that reads the story, certainly should be obvious to Lot, that Sodom is ripe for judgment. And so the angels tell Lot, you know, get your family and get out of here because it's going to be destroyed. And they and they end up having to actually grab him by the by the hand and drag him out because he keeps delaying. And so then, what comes down on Sodom? Fire and brimstone. Brimstone being an old-fashioned word for sulfur. Um, and they, he ends up by the time the story's over, he ends up fleeing to the mountains. Uh, his wife doesn't make it. She looked back and the angels told him not to look back. Um, so he only has his two daughters with him. These two daughters have grown up in Sodom and unfortunately they seem to have absorbed a lot of the attitude of Sodom and so they end up having children by who? 
By their own father, yeah. They know he won't agree to it, so they get him drunk and, and work it that way. And, and the children they have are Moab, are the, are, the, are the founders of the nations of Moab and Ammon, who are two of the major, city, uh, major nations that will be enemies of the Israelites in later years. Um, now in, in chapter 20, and this is still part of the same section, in chapter 20, <coughs> Abraham goes toward the south, um, and it's worth looking at a map for this part. He goes down to the region of Gerar, which um, later on became Philistine territory. And um, I don't think that I don't think these people are the ancestors of the Philistines, but they are in the same territory that the Philistines later occupied. The Philistines were a people that came from the island of Crete. Uh, some few hundred years later. But the guy who's the head of the Philistines is named Abimelech, and that's probably a title kind of like Pharaoh. And the picture we, we see of him in, in these stories is of, of a good person. Um, he seems to really be trying to do what's right, and, and God appears to treat him in that way. Um, unlike with Pharaoh... God actually reveals to him what's going on through a dream. And, and, and Abimelech is quite shocked and he has this discussion with God in his dream and says, you know, the man told me she was, my, she was his sister. You know, how could I know? And God says, yes, I, you know, I do know that and I, I kept you from sinning against him. And again, you know, you, well, what Christian can read this without just being embarrassed? <laughs> I guess here we have our spiritual ancestor who is just um, who's coming out worse than someone that you would think is just a pagan. But um, Abimelech is determined to do what's right, and and he actually gives Abram Abraham a, a present to to um, uh, to compensate for the fact that he had mistakenly taken his wife, but he, he hadn't actually touched her. Now, let me just mention, I don't think he's taking his wife because she's just this beautiful woman that he can't keep his hands off. I mean, she's 89 years old. <laughs> um, what, they, what they were doing in those days, they would make, um, they would ally themselves with, with powerful tribes through marriage. And Abraham was, very, was the head of a very powerful uh, tribe. He's got, you know, over 300 servants, he's got sheep, ox, and all this. And, and Abimelech wants to be allied with him. And, and he ends up making a covenant with him later without marrying his wife. Um, but I don't think he, I mean, that was, I think that was his purpose. Just He was trying to get a political alliance going there. Um, chapter 21. Isaac is finally born. How old was Sarah when he was born? 90 years old. And how old was Abraham? A hundred years old, yeah. And Abraham will live another 75 years after this. Um, Sarah won't live, live that long, but she, she lives long enough to raise, raise Isaac. Um, and we have this unfortunate situation where um, Hagar's son Ishmael proves to be unworthy to be part of this family. Um, 
you have, we talked about how you can have different kinds of laughter. Well, his laughter was a mocking laughter. He's laughing at Isaac, and Sarah sees the problems are going to come, and so she gets her husband to agree to send Hagar away, and and, and God intervenes to rescue Hagar from one of the major problems of the desert, which is you know running out of water. And and so Ishmael does grow up, and later on he actually comes back, and and he he and Isaac both together bury Abraham later on, so he's not gone forever, but um, he's not. He's not going to be an influence upon the people of God, and that's that was the purpose of sending him away. And then at the end of chapter twenty, when Abimelech shows up again and makes a covenant with Abraham, which I think is what he wanted all along, because he sees that, that as he says, God is with you in all that you do, and and you have to respect a guy who, who who sees that and appreciates that. And the end up, um, this is one of the places where Beersheba gets its name from, because this town means well of the oath and they made an oath there and it, it shows up a number of times in, in later stories and now we have our last chapter in Abraham's life Abraham's faith is tested in the offering of Isaac and um, God appeared to him in chapter 22 and Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And, and so God had called Abraham because he had faith. And he demonstrates his faith to the highest degree by doing what God says in this case. And they end up in the land of Moriah, which actually is where Jerusalem was. And... Um, Later on, we'll find that the temple was built on the mountain in Moriah. Um, so the place was very significant. It was the same place where eventually the descendant of Abraham will be offered. Um, all the events of the last 24 hours of Jesus' life took place within about a half mile of that mountain. Um, so Isaac was kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus and, and Abraham was actually acting out the part of God and giving his only son. But of course, God could not accept Isaac's sacrifice. It's not no human sacrifice can be acceptable in the sight of God unless that human is what? Sinless. Yeah. And and certainly Isaac wasn't there's only one and he was a descendant of Isaac. But out of this came these great promises, and Abraham made this prophecy in verse 14. He, he said, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And the rest, the rest of the Old Testament just never does show us how that happens, but it gets us closer and closer to how God will provide. And then... Finally, we read through chapter 23 for this week. And um, sadly enough, Sarah died. Um, of course, she was 127 years old, so she wasn't in his time. But um, Abraham is, of course, very grieved. She's the only woman in the Bible whose age is given. So that's quite an honor for her. Um, 
Abraham doesn't own any land. Now this is an ironic thing. Abraham has been in the land for decades now. God said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants. But he doesn't, have, he doesn't own anything. He just keeps you know, moving his tent around. And now he's got to have a permanent place to put his wife's body. So he goes to these people that, who are living in the land, the sons of Heth, and he wants to buy a place. And it's interesting how one of the guys offers to give it to him. I'm not sure how serious he was about that, but let's assume that he was serious. What did Abraham respond? Yeah, he's going to pay for it. Same, you see the same thing he was saying to, to the king of Sodom, really. I'm not taking presents of you guys. I'll pay for it. One of these days, God will give it all to him. But for now, he's willing to buy what, what he needs to bury his wife. And so that be, he buys the cave of Machpelah. And she's buried there. And then years later, he'll, he'll be buried there as well. Any questions on the 12th chapter that we've done here? Yeah, John. Just an observation. We have several different pictures of uh, reflection of evil, good and evil. But it doesn't seem to be a man of faith, does he? <laughs> yes, that's right. They become enemies of God's people. So you're looking at the twelve compared to Isaac's descendants, twelve tribes. That's a good point. Yeah. Next next week, um, the reading covers the life of Isaac and a good part of the life of Jacob. Um, interesting stories. I think you'll enjoy it. So we'll we'll continue next time. Thanks for your help, everybody.